Good morning. My name is James Counts, and my wife, Tanya, and I are co-leaders with Jeff and Melanie Mosinger of the Social, Cultural, Unity, and Diversity Team, commonly known as the Squad, here in the Inland Empire region. In the month of February, let's not only look to celebrate the history and achievement of blacks in America and around the world, but let's also focus on his story, Jesus' eternal efforts to forgive sins and reconcile men back to him. Today, we're going to focus on a story that I think we're all very familiar with, Jesus' interaction with a Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. In this passage, Jesus opens the eyes of the woman so she can see clearly the things that divide the world and eternal solutions that won't come from political legislation or social movement are only lasting hope for true peace can be found at the foot of the cross. You see, with a master's degree in conflict analysis and resolution, I learned that many, if not most of the Americans, of most of the horrific acts in human conflicts and wars, hatred and violence against one another often originated in one or more of these four areas. The region, which is their land, race, which is the color, religion, which is people's faith, or the resources, the greed, the things for materials. My points today will focus on the three statements that Jesus says in this passage. One, will you give me a drink? Two, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. And three, I who speak to you am he. Let's read the word of God here in John chapter 4. John chapter 4 verse 1 says, The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask for me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. With this one statement, Will you give me a drink? Jesus opens up a dialogue between two feuding cultures that normally would have never had anything to do with one another. You see, the woman was basically saying, Look, you know that Jews would rather eat filthy pig than use any utensils that Samaritans have used. And now, here you are not only asking me for water from the well, but you have anything to draw with. You Jews got jokes. <laughs> Jesus knew of that culture's centuries-old conflicts and bitter religious history between the Samaritans and the Jews before he ever decided to walk through Sychar that day. But the real question we'll examine is how did they get there? Or how does any society go from being somewhat peaceful to the point that they allow racial discrimination to run wild, even to the point where lives can get lost? First, let me give you a case study as a backdrop in Matthew chapter 15, where Jesus, the Savior of the world, was sent first to the lost sheep of Israel, a Canaanite woman of different cultural background than Jesus came to Jesus crying out for mercy 
for the Savior to cure her daughter. Her request wasn't about race, wasn't about sex, it wasn't about gender. But let's look at Jesus' response. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 24, he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said. But even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Here, Jesus refers to her using a highly degrading word, commonly used in that day, dog, <clears throat> that if used in the wrong way, only serves to perpetuate the hatred and oppressive sentiments that has been used against her race or culture for so long. Now, did you recognize the self-fulfilling prophecy? The woman was so used to being called degrading names, she even internalized, accepted it, and used the word against her own self in a demeaning way. Now, can you think of any word like that in our society today that may have the same kind of effect? You know, the challenging thing we must note here is that in the same exact way racism, whether as an institution or against an individual, <clears throat> it often becomes so pervasive and so accepting in society that people get numb or even get vaccinated to the fact and it becomes harder to recognize. Now let's take a moment to analyze the degradation process of a society that makes it possible to evolve into racism, hatred, and even genocide against members of that same society. On November 8, 2018, Psychology Today put out an article entitled The Five Steps of Dehumanization, which illustrates the steps that normal humans go through that allow them to justify themselves to commit all kinds of evil acts against one another. As we discuss these, see if any of these sound familiar to you. Number one, <clears throat> hinting at the subpar intelligence of a morality of a group. You see, the, e the ego of the majority group needs to be sure of its own greatness by confirming the other group's inferiority. Two, use of infestation analogy. The major group must be made to feel like the minority group is a threat to their health and their safety. Three, reference and or comparison to animals. Used primarily in the Holocaust, Jews were often compared to rats. Blacks have been compared to monkeys, so on and so forth. Four, threats of violence. This is when it turns from being just prejudicial into a precursor to violence and danger when the leader or any other members become violent with the dehumanization group. They will often follow blindly because they have been primed or radicalized to believe that the inferior group is inhuman. Five, removal of group from society. Deportation, use of camps, reservations, uh, developments of ghettos. Ultimately, this step can lead to, uh, to the annihilation or genocide of said group. So, when for any reason you hear someone label another human as inferior, as an infestation, making reference to them as animals, uh, making threats of violence against them, you know what's actually going on isn't godly, but what's actually going on is a part of the dehumanization process. So, <clears throat> I want to make sure we're very clear. Let's get very specific on some incidences how society has used region, race, 
religion, and resources to justify his actions against his own people. America <clears throat> with slavery. The real issue? Race and revenue. Over 12 million were enslaved. Hitler and the Jews. It was about race and, and, and region. Over 11 million in the Holocaust. Americans versus Native Americans. <clears throat> What's the real issue? Race and land, region. Over 20 million involved in that. Next, you have the internment of the Japanese Americans in concentration camps, with most of them being American citizens. Over 120,000. <clears> what about in the early 1930s during the Great Depression? Americans deported Mexican citizens back to Mexico. <clears throat> Over 1.8 million. Israelis versus the Palestinians. What's the real issue there? It's region, race, and religion. And who knows how many have been affected by that. Jews and the Gentiles, same thing from the beginning. No one knows how many people were affected. So when you hear these stats, especially the ones that talk about America, can you understand why some of those affected by these numbers feel it's hard for them to consider this a Christian nation? Let's go to our next point here. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. John chapter 4 verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you the living water. Sir, the woman says, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. How can you get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? As did also his sons, his flocks, and his herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, in him, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water well enough to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I don't have to get thirsty and have to keep coming to, this, to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you have no husband. The fact is, you have five husbands, and the man you are now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. With this one statement, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, Jesus was telling the woman the nature of the human condition. Everything we humans desire and base our hopes on dreams of cars, money, and relationships will only quench us for a minute, will ultimately leave us thirsty and wanting more, and causing these things to become idols to our own hearts. Idols, you say? Well, an idol is anything we turn to in order to get fulfillment or satisfaction rather than turning to God. The second commandment in the Bible says what? Thou shalt have no other God before me. Talking about idols. I love the passage in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11. It tells us that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. Now, if this is so, what is the only thing that can fill eternity? Only eternal things, of course. You see, men's hearts were originally created to be filled with eternal things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Not with created things that keep them continually thirsty. See, this idolatry originally started back in the Garden of Eden when God gave Adam and Eve direction and permission to eat from any tree in the garden, except only one. But man wanted to follow his own way and make his own decisions. 
So he took matters into his own hand and thus the fall of man. The fall of man is a sad condition without the Holy Spirit to be there to internally quench his earthly spirit. This, this is what every human is trying to achieve and wants but doesn't know it. Therefore, they spend their existence looking and searching for things that they cannot satisfy. Jesus goes on to let the woman know what the Father thinks. Now you see, up to this point, we focus quite extensively into all the processes of the human heart that separate, divide a society, and even turn humans into acts of violence against one another. But now, as we prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper, Let's look at the only true process that heals the ailments of society and of the human heart. And that's the blood of Jesus. Let's read John chapter 4 verse 19 through 26. The point is, I who speak to you am he. Jesus, sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. And then let's go down to verse 39. It says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Now with this one statement, I speak to you and he, Jesus revealed the one true way to eliminate conflicts that have happened because of race, religion, the region or resources is only through his death, burial and resurrection. You see, deep down, the woman knew that there was something different about Jesus even with that, she, she couldn't resist the temptation of falling back into her old patterns of looking for the answers herself through her religious knowledge of the past and her resume to prove that she was right. However, Jesus let her know that all the answers she'd been looking to for her life is found in him. Thus the statement, I who speak to you am he. You see, there is no longer any need to look for something or someone to fill the eternity in our hearts. This passage shows us that because of the encounter between Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well, she was able to deal with the idols of her own heart. Also, the community of Samaritans believed because of their um, previous enemy, Jesus, and all that he exclaimed, we no longer believe just because what you said. We know that this man really is the savior of the world. Now, who can really forget what Jesus said in the second chapter of Ephesians? In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14, it says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in the flesh the laws with his commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create for himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. You see, from the beginnings, conflicts have shaped America and the world with seemingly no end in sight. Hearts don't get changed through legislation, 
through social protest, through psychiatry, through therapy. The heart can't be changed outwardly. The heart can only be changed when it comes in contact with the one who has the power to change hearts, and that's Jesus Christ. Let me give you an example. In 1911, Arkansas passed 320, Act 320, House Bill Number 79, also known as the One Drop Rule. This law had two goals. It made interracial cohabitation a felony and defined as Negroes anyone who has any Negro blood whatsoever, thus relegating them to second-class citizens. Although the law had features unique to Arkansas, it largely reflected nationwide trends. Now, can you believe that, that at one point in our American society, one drop of blood was used as a barometer or litmus test to virtually condemn a person to a life of racism, slavery, and or a life of oppression and suffering. But praise be to God that now only through the cross can one drop of blood be used to forgive, wipe clean, and set a man's heart free to become a vessel useful to God and has placed in them the Holy Spirit who is at a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until we're all redeemed into heaven. Not as white, not as African American, not as Latin American, not as Asian, not as Native American or any other race, but only as brothers and sisters. Let us pray for the communion. Father, we have got to apologize to you for the acts that we have committed towards one another because of our selfishness, because of our pride, because we don't want you to be Lord of our lives. And Father, we have been often looked for legislation and social uh, things to to help change America. And all those, they do some things. Father, hearts can only be changed when they come to the foot of the cross. When their hearts are, are changed, when, 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 when your son, Jesus being on the cross, died for our sins to be forgiven so that we can be unified in a great way. Father, help us to be what you need us to be. Father, help us get this message out to those around the world so that these atrocities can never happen again. Father, we love you and we pray this in your son's name. Amen.